stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about Out of Africa. That's what today's show is called, and that's because I just uh, came out of Africa yesterday, in fact. Um, I've been on safari for two weeks, riding elephants, riding horses, and riding in jeeps. And I'm going to take you along on my journey into the jungle and um, share some of my observations with today's guest, who is Curtis Cushman. And he lived and worked in Africa for several years and wrote about it in his book, his new book, called The Bobo Marché. Marché is French for market. So uh, it's a market in France, in France, a market in Africa. Um, I, I want to just preface this by saying that these were uh, some of the most amazing two weeks I've ever had. Um, I highly recommend going on safari in Africa. You do have to be... Uh, well, if you do it, if you do it right, if you ride elephants and horses, and uh, at least riding elephants and horses into the bush, um, you do have to be somewhat tough, <laughs> adventurous. Um, even jeeps, actually, there were some um, some tense moments facing uh, lions and a whole bunch of lions and uh, and uh, leopards. You get incredibly, incredibly close to these animals, um, where you are sort of dependent upon them. <laughs> Deciding not to uh, hurt you after all. I've been in front of charging elephants several times, um, in front of hungry lions. <laughs> I guess a petting part of what I did was petting lions. I'll tell you more about it. Uh, walking, it's, it was called uh, walking with the lions, and you actually walk next to them, literally, and pet them, um, if you can believe that. So I think my, some of my experiences will be different from my guests. But um, certainly there were a lot of wonderful and interesting things to talk about in regard to Africa in general, and I just want to sort of compare notes. Uh, even though we were there for different reasons and so on, uh, Africa is a fabulous place. It's just, um, it's like no place else in the world, obviously. Um, and it's so, you're back, you're, you feel so cut off from the world, and you're so involved in nature and so everything just is more intense and um and i mean it kind of it it kind of uh brings things down to its bare elements when you are face to face with a lion <laughs> some of the things that you left at home seem rather trivial <laughs> when when you're out in the jungle 
So let me um, welcome my guest, Curtis Cushman. Again, his book is called The Bobo Marche. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Doctor. I appreciate this opportunity to be with you. It was sound, uh, when your people called me up, it sounded very fascinating. You had a very good experience, and I, I hope I'll be able to add something to that from my experience. Yes, well, start by, uh, well, let me, let me first say where um, I think we're going to be able to give my listeners uh, a big range of experiences and, and observations because I think we were in different parts. Um, I spent uh, the first night in, um, um, in South Africa near the Kruger National Park, which is a park filled with wildlife. Um, my first evening was sort of a get used to Africa evening. It was at Sibeli Spa uh, and Lodge, and that was to have a massage after the long plane ride. <laughs> and then the next day we went to Camp Jabalani, which is um, an elephant camp where um, we, that's where I rode the, the elephants um, for three days, three nights, four days. And, um, and that was a very special place because uh, the, it started out with an elephant that was adopted, and we can talk more about the adoptions of elephants and people. Um, but it started off with one elephant, who they named Jabalani, who um, was lost, was trapped in the mud in South Africa, and um, and orphaned because the, the his family um, left him there. And um, he was taken in by a woman who has a, a rehab center, a conservation center, and uh, that wound up being the first of many elephants that she adopted. I think there were 11, um, 8, uh, let's see, it was about 7 fully grown elephants, 7 or 8 fully grown elephants and about 4 or 5 babies. And, um, and then, so that was in, those two camps were in South Africa. Then I went to Zambia um, for... Um, a stay at the Royal Livingston Hotel, which is to see um, um, Victoria Falls. This is one of the natural wonders of the world, one of the seven wonders. Indeed. And then, um, then we went to Zambia um, and the Botswana, which is, uh, you know, the really one of the deepest, darkest parts. And um, went to three different camps: um, Little Vumbura in the Delta, the Akavanga right. Delta, very, um, very and then um, the Savuti Elephant Camp, and then um, the Akavanga Horse Safari, also back in the Delta. So just so you know more or less where I've been, and now tell everyone where, where you spent four years. Well, I uh, spent two years on the edge of the Sahara in Western Africa. First off, for, for people who do not know, yes. Africa is an extremely diverse place, and it's huge. It is very, you could take three continental United States and drop them into Africa and have room for several Alaskas laid over. I mm -hmm. mean, it's big. So you're in an area that is thousands, literally thousands of miles away from where I was. Mm. So I was on the edge of the Sahara Desert, on the southern edge, in a country that is now called Burkina Faso. I lived in a town called Bobo Gilasso, which hence the title of my book, The Bobo Marche. This area is arid, semi-arid, monsoon season type weather, uh, lots of agriculture, and then I went and lived uh, two years, lived and worked two years, in the equatorial region, right under the line in Gabon, which is uh, in uh, what is uh, West Central Africa. And this area is one of rivers and 
tropical rainforest and uh, mountains covered with forest and again elephants and panthers and whichever a lot of, of which I've seen a black panther actually I saw a black panther mm. and we didn't ride uh, we got our vehicles to a certain point and then we hiked mm. and we did a lot of hiking uh, because there was simply no other access Hmm. Yes, I should. I should. Let me just say the countries that I just described, um, obviously South Africa and Zambia and Botswana, are all in the southern part of Africa. And yes, I did some walking as well, but <laughs> didn't forgot to mention that. But, yeah. but go ahead. now, what what was the reason why you were in Africa? Uh, I was doing mineral exploration. I did two years looking for gold and diamonds, and then uh, two years looking for industrial metals. I was with. Uh, the United States government for two years, and then I was uh, with a private company for the, uh, another two years. And uh, the reason I was uh, useful over there is because uh, I speak French, and those countries were francophone, French-speaking. Mm. So I could uh, do technical, geological, uh, and scientific explanations and write in French. So it was made myself a very good commodity. I mm. only left because I got very ill. Mm. I got very sick I, with uh, malaria and schistosomiasis and what have you. But wow. uh, when you talk about, and I just want to add this before you go on with your description, when you, I've been charged by elephants, too. It's not pleasant. Uh, in fact, it can be downright scary. I've been in the water when black mambas come in after you. So this, I know what you're talking about. But it is the most extraordinary place. It is that you have seen things that very few people have seen. And I was in an area where the Africans I worked with told me nobody had ever gone before. That is thrilling mm-hmm. and uh, unique in a lifetime. But you can't, you can't begin to explain to people when you see a waterfall for the first time that nobody's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, I, I, that's in the tropics, that's in the forest. That's on the tropical rainforest. Uh, Gabon has got less than a million people in a country the size of Colorado. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lot of very undeveloped area. And I would love to have people visit these places. The environmental parks that are opening up in Gabon are spectacular and are going to be world-class destinations, I guarantee you. Not that you didn't get to any. Oh, boy. Uh, Some of those places I'd be very jealously love to go and see. Oh, yes. There were. I mean, you know, that's one of the things that we should be talking about, um, which is this whole, because I really didn't have any idea about this before I went there, this whole idea of, um, the endangered species. You know, you think of Africa and you think of it being sort of overrun with all kinds of animals. Um, but, and in some cases, there are some places where it is, I mean, elephants eating trees and so on. Um, but, uh, which, which disturbs the ecosystem because then other animals can't get the shade or can't get uh-huh. the nourishment and so on. But I've fallen in love with elephants, um, from, from starting from my first ride on one in the bush. But, um, but this whole this idea of how many animals are being poached for all kinds of reasons rhinoceroses for their uh, tusks that um, you know there's some folklore that the tusks cure cancer which of course is not true right <laughs> and um, and the elephant tusks for the ivory and just uh, and animals in fact I think the worst thing that I heard of was um, that there are some illegal places where people um, put uh, um, lions in cages and people, tourists, primarily, I asked where the tourists come from primarily, and unfortunately it's they're from the United States for the most part, not only, um, 
and they they so the lions are in cages, and the the people, the tourists come and shoot the lions, and of course, ultimately, you know, kill them since they're caged. It's not really a fair fight, and then bring um, some some part of the lion or just uh, some plaque or what some they bring something home that proves that they shot a lion. I. I... I've not heard that story. Most of the time when they do that captive thing is they actually release the animal to sort of uh, give it a, the people in, uh, a feel for a true hunt, although it isn't because the lion is, or the animal, whatever it is, it has been captive so long it doesn't know how to protect itself. So it's kind of a, a deal like that. I've not heard that particular story. I actually went into a poacher's camp in West Africa in Burkina Faso, and uh, that was a little scary. But uh, poaching goes on all the time. I would like also to point out that encroachment on habitat is a very severe problem as well. Uh, we see that down in Rwanda, where the gorillas are being pushed out by agriculture. And we saw some of that, too. Uh, it's, um, but again, in, West and so- in, in East and South Africa, when you develop these fantastic parks, and then they're unprotected and people come and poach on these parks, uh, what good good are they? I mean, uh, they've got to do something... And I think the international community has to do it. And you, of yes. course, the thing with the rhino horn is that it's supposed to be an aphrodisiac. That too, yes. And that is, um, be it as it may, uh, there's plenty of other things out there, folks. You really don't need to kill rhinos to do. Well, besides, your thing there. I think it's more of a psychological idea that a, that a I, phallic no symbol doubt. could, in fact, uh, help you to be more uh, macho. <laughs> hey, no uh, doubt, no doubt. Uh, but it's, uh, it is, uh, and I'm, I appreciate you looking at the elephants. So we had a variety in, in Central Africa, which were called reds. They're smaller than the East African and are found in the jungle. And they are a very, very interesting animal. They can move quietly in the middle of the forest. It's astonishing yes. what they can do. And I hope they get preserved. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. We really, there's really a very dangerous situation um, for a number of species. Well, we'll talk about that when we come back. We do need to take a break. My guest is Curtis Cushman. We're talking about out of Africa and uh, telling you about all of our experiences and things that you really need to know and to, to get involved in. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Think of the world. 
50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, talking with you today about coming out of Africa, literally myself yesterday, and my guest Curtis Cushman, who is the author of The Bobo Marche, and he was living and working in Africa for about four years, being an engineer and a geologist. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, the, the, the upsetting part, which had to do with um, how, how many species are endangered uh, for various reasons. Um, Sometimes animals, well, mostly it's poachers, um, and also it's, uh, it's, there, there are different situations, political situations and so on in different countries. Like, for example, in Zimbabwe, um, there were, there was a political situation where the government took over, um, took over some, the land, uh, from some Farmers and people. Well, in, in this one example, um, it was a man who had uh, kept kept a lot of elephants, and um, so when the, his land was taken away, he wasn't able to keep them anymore, and that's how um, the Jabalani camp uh, inherited or took over, rescued actually um, all of these all of these elephants that otherwise would be orphaned, and uh, there are there are orphaned cheetahs. There are there are animals that um, are hurt and killed. Uh, for, for, because of man, because of various things that man, um, does that they really shouldn't be doing. Um, it's, it's raping, raping the continent. And of course, these animals, all of the animals are, were just, um, fascinating, beautiful, amazing. What I was most amazed, uh, about, oh, and I, I want to point out, you know, I was mentioning about being charged by elephants or, or almost. Um, it's not that these animals are mean or wanted to, you know, or certainly the elephants. They're so gentle and they have such strong family bonds. Um, you know, the only reason why that first elephant was was abandoned was because the elephants, the other elephants, couldn't get him out, unstuck from the mud that he was in. Um, so they really have. They, in fact, in fact, one of the things that I saw was um, uh, four lions. Who were eating the carcass of a baby elephant? That was that was in um, in a different place than than the other elephants. <laughs> but um, but you know the, the these these animals are preyed upon, and so when the animals flap their ears and and uh, think about charging, it's because they're feeling threatened. You know, for example, when we were riding on horses near the elephants, it's, we weren't planning on doing anything uh, mean to them, but they were, they were protecting their babies. They were, the, mo- the mothers in particular were just uh, watching and, and making sure that 
we weren't, they were sort of warning us, don't come any closer, because they were trying to protect their babies. So there are all of these fascinating species that um, are, are just amazing and tell us such things about, you, can, you look at their, their mating life and you look at their um, family life and, and all the things that they do to protect the species and, and how they, um, all of these things that nature gave each species to protect them and, and uh, just create the, the lures of their life. And it's just uh, mind-blowing that each of them are so different and so beautiful in their own way. And so for people to come in there and just rape and pillage is, <laughs> is just outrageous. Well, one of the uh, things, though, that you have to remember, I, I don't remember the source, but a, a writer once said there's nothing in the world more destructive than a hungry human. <laughs> and unfortunately, in most of these countries, not most, excuse me, many of these countries, uh, there is a real severe population and lack of food and poverty. And they look and say, why should we be taking care of these animals when we can eat them and sell them and what have you? And uh, the, the, the wiser people are trying, and governments and international organizations are trying to say, no, look, by having them here, you get tourism, right. you get the money coming in, you can buy your food. I do know that I worked with Africans who have got steady jobs, and still they will drop the job to go back to the village to help with the harvest. So the, the harvest is important. They're, they are very suspicious of, of cash economies. So I don't know how that's going to play out. I, I, that's something that's beyond my expertise. I lived in uh, Burkina Faso, is one of the poorest countries in the world, and Gabon per capita is the second wealthiest country in Africa. Two completely different ecosystems, two different entire cultures are completely different, but they also face the same problems. <laughs> you know, well, that, you uh, know, go ahead. I'm, I'm not a vegetarian, <laughs> and it's not that I think um, there isn't some, some need to, to eat. But um, but but that wasn't my impression as far as what is happening. Why there are these endangered species? I mean, there are species that are endangered not because people eat them. Um, so uh, and I, I agree with you. I agree with you, Doc. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm just trying to say there are other factors in play. It does not make any sense to hunt rhino. It does not make any sense to call out the elephants for their ivory and let the rest of the body rot. No, I mean, I'm on the same page with you 100%. There are other issues involved, and it's just simply, it's all cumulative, and it's all driving the whole continent into this this disastrous situation that that you're bringing up. And it it is um, interesting to note that there are a number of organizations um, who are trying to save the endangered species and rehabilitate um, uh, animals that have been uh, hurt and so on or, or orphaned. Um, you know, I don't, think, I don't think there are enough, well, these organizations don't have enough money to take care of all of the animals, but, but it, it was good to see that there are these various projects going on to save animals. Um, I visited the uh, Hootsbreet Endangered Species Center, um, in Hootsbreed, South Africa, and that's that, that's connected actually to Camp Jabalani, and that's where um, a lot of these animals program these programs are that are trying to to um, reintroduce or or stem all the 
endangerment um, of species, especially cheetahs there. But um, uh, so, you know, people are working on it, and there are, there are programs. Actually, there's, um, have you, did you come in touch with the uh, wilderness program where um, part of what they do is to help, is to bring children to um, camps, uh, you know, camps, camps in the bush um, during the year, and to teach them about the animals and to teach them about nature and to, to give them the respect for these animals at a young age and also to teach them other life skills um, so that there would be, so starting with a younger generation, that there would be more uh, understanding of why it's so important to do these things to protect these species. Did you come in touch with that? Come no, but there were similar programs that, uh, for example, Crossroads did that type of work, bring the kids out in, in, in groups to, uh, to learn. They didn't take them directly into the camps, but they were there in Africa to learn, and uh, I think they did much of that same type of work. Uh, there was another one which was in French, Le Carrefour d'Afrique, which is basically Crossroads, uh, African Crossroads. And so, yes, yes, they're there. they are there. They have been there for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But the question always comes back, how much of this is an international problem? How much of it is you and I and those people mm-hmm. buying those products? And how much is it an African problem? Mm-hmm. And you get to the Africans, and they're very proud. And they, as you know from being there, they're very proud. And they would like to be able to think that they can handle this themselves. Mm-hmm. So how much good can we do? And I'd like to know, because I won't say I looked upon it in despair, but I looked upon a lot of these things and just went, man, this is not right. <laughs> and... Well, I know that with the wilderness program, the, the way that I found out about it was on one of the little airplanes. <laughs> oh, yeah. another <laughs> that these these puddle jumpers. Um, there was actually it was connected to the wilderness program, and there were booklets about uh, all the things that they were doing, and and they asked for donations. I mean, I think certainly all of us can can find can donate to that organization or to find look on the internet and find organizations that are doing these kinds of things and at least make donations and of course um you know of course going there and visiting is the key to to motivate people to understand why this is so important Amen. Uh, i found the african people incredible in the countries that i went to incredibly welcoming and incredibly mm-hmm. that they couldn't do enough to, they couldn't the guides were amazing um, I think in every place that I went to on all of the safaris, the guides were able to recognize the tiniest birds. They knew all the hundreds of, of birds that there are, as well as, of course, the mammals, which are a little easier to understand, although, although that was difficult to spot at night going out on night drives and uh, shining flashlights and finding all these animals. I mean, that's, that's kind of, um, that was part of the excitement, too. You never know what you're going to find when you go out into the bush, whether it's in a jeep or an elephant or a horse. You don't know what animals you're going to find and what they're going to be doing when you find them. It's never boring, like, oh, there's another giraffe, because, oh, oh, <laughs> because you're they're right. always doing interesting things and, and in different groups and um it's just, but, but I mean, the, the guides are so knowledgeable about the life of, of all these different animals and birds and being able to spot them. I was incredibly impressed by that. Yes, uh, the local people, when they're well-trained, are amazing in their bushcraft. Uh, I went in one particular area. We'd been hiking in the jungle for hours and hours and hours, and I asked one of the local guys, which way is it back to our boat? And he picks up his, his, his machete 
and points exactly in the exact magnetic compass direction to our boat. I mean, he kept in his head, you know, how to yes. operate in the field and what have you. Uh, one very good interesting story was we were hiking in an old logging road, and I heard a crash. And um, an uh, Englishman that I was with who did not know anything about the bush, he was brand new in country, he didn't hear it. I heard it and wondered what it was, and the Africans went on and ignored it. They knew what it was. They knew what that sound was. I, w- I didn't know what it was. What but I was heard it? it? It was just something falling from a tree. Uh-huh. They, they, you know, because, but every now and then you'll all of a sudden hear a crash and they'll go, monkeys. Yes. Or yes. What, you know, they, by the sound alone. Yes. It, it, it is it's truly amazing how well they can do it. And these are not people who live that all that much in the forest, but they go out into it. It's like going to the supermarket mm-hmm. and for, uh, for vegetables, for barks, for herbs and what have you. And I know what you're talking about. By the way, if you had been doing that for about three or four months where you were, you would start to see those birds. You would start mm-hmm. to hear them. You would, no, I'm not kidding you. It, I mean, I found out when I was there for all those years that eventually you start to get an eye for the place uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and an ear and an eye and an ear and a nose. Yes. Well, the country smells. But yes. <laughs> you well, would have done it. We do need to take another break. Um, we'll talk more about this. My guest is Curtis Cushman. We're coming out of Africa, and we'll be coming right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you find yourself tearing pictures of rooms out of magazines? Do you watch certain movies and TV programs because of the homes they show? Are Sundays reserved for open houses? Then you are a home dreamer. And someday, you will build or renovate your dream home. Steve Plipp has spent three decades learning how to win at the dream home game. His show, Winning the Dream Home Race, can be heard every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let Steve Plipp help save you money and make you a winner. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, We're talking today about 
Out of Africa, or I guess I should say that's the title of today's show, Out of Africa. My guest is Curtis Cushman. He is the author of a new book called The Bobo Marche. Uh, he is an engineer and geologist and was in Africa for four years in the western and uh, central Africa, and I just came back from a safari in the south, southern part of Africa. Um, you know, what was amazing, too, was that each of these camps that I went to were, were just so different from each other. Part of it was was the um, the topography, and part of it was, you know, just just how just the culture of the area. Um, but all, I guess, what what Curtis and I are both trying to get across to all of you is how fabulous and life changing this is to to take a trip to Africa, and how um, and it is true that tourism is one of the primary. Um, uh, sources of money to these countries. Um, it was either number one or number two or number three. And it's really important and valuable. I mean, not only is it important to the countries, but it's also val- an invaluable trip to go on. And we were talking before about how important it is to help these organizations who uh, try to conserve the and help the endangered species. The um, The lion walk that I went on, was in uh, Livingston in Zambia near Victoria Falls, and uh, that was kind of interesting because it's it's we were supposed to be walking with two lions. <laughs> this is this is a this is actually a um, a program. This is one of the programs to help endangered species because believe it or not, lions are endangered. And um, I mean, you think King of the Jungle, he you know kills everybody and and remains unscathed, but actually, well, I was talking before about the caged lion. Uh, um, illegal hunting that goes on, but um, whether it's le- well, well, it's always illegal. But whether it's in cages or out of cages, there's still this poaching, and lions are endangered. And uh, it's just, it's really, you know, you don't get anything. Um, I mean, it's not for their tusks or their ivory. It's more in those cases for the um, macho uh, ability, the ability to be macho or try to be macho. It's really cowardice, and say that I killed a lion in Africa, you know. But um, but anyway, we were walking with these two lions and and petting them and taking photographs, of course. And uh, uh, when all of a sudden, a bunch of impala, which are antelope-like animals all over Africa, um, came running by, sprinting by, and it turned out that they were being chased by three lions who had been out with walking with people in the morning. And they usually like to keep the two lions and the three lions separate when there are people in walking through the reserve because uh, otherwise it can get a bit out of control, which in fact it did. <laughs> but not, not, uh, they eventually separated the two and the three and, and it was exciting. But, um, fortunately also there's someone on the, that walks along with you who, well, there's a guide who walks along with you and there are other people who are stationed and watching in case in case they're needed, like they were, to separate the lions. Um, but there's also somebody who comes along and takes video. <laughs> At the end, he, he, he leaves you uh, early enough so that he can go back and edit the video, and when you come back to the center where you started from, um, you watch the video. And, you know, with music and incredibly well edited and proof that you had the guts <laughs> to actually walk and pet <laughs> these lions because otherwise people wouldn't believe you. The lions that we walked with were um, only 18 months. They were in the first stage of a four-stage um, 
uh, program where they are gradually, that's the age actually that they go into step two, where they are gradually reintroduced into the bush and, and taken away from humans and are um, helped to learn their, their born bred in captivity and then eventually reintroduced more and more into the bush so that they can eventually go off on their own and form their own pride um, and, and replenish the jungle with, with lions. Um, it's really it, it, all these. I mean, it's one amazing thing after another. It's it's like every day there's something. Um, there are just some new things that you find out about how you know what nature is trying to do and what man is trying to do. Well, let me ask you this: uh, you you use the old phrase "the king of the jungle." Uh, were you in a tropical forest or were you in savanna country? Well, it was. Um, it was the, the landscape was it was very different. I mean, the delta, I guess, was probably the uh, as 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 um, tropical as it got. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty tropical. There were hippos, there were crocodiles, um, there were, you know, as opposed to sort of South Africa, which was a little more a little drier. Oh yes, oh yes. I was just curious because uh, we were in a triple canopy forest, and uh, there are no lions in that area oh. at all. Huh. So yeah, they, and uh, the locals prefer to call it a, a tropical forest as opposed to a jungle. Uh, in certain parts of Africa, the use of the word jungle is uh, very insulting. Yes, yes, it's the bush. We didn't really. Right, yes, it's the bush. Right, amen. It's, it's the bush. Yeah, but, we were, uh, we were yes, called. There, there we is that called, old saying, "King of the jungle." <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, the bush we were called Broussard, which is exactly the French equivalent for bush. Yes. So we were in the bush. And uh, that is a uh, common term. Uh, I've, I have been in, in, in lion country in, uh, in the Sahel, up on the, near the Sahara. And uh, that's an amazing creature when you hear them. Really, uh, the MGM lion on yes. the old uh, thing, that's coughing. When those <laughs> yes. suckers let go with one of a real, honest, uh. good roar, it's very noticeable. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, yeah, that's a lion, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> oh. yes. Um. Well, I think probably the most, uh, you were talking about a unique experience, one of the most, or the most probably unique experience, um, we were told, um, that we came upon was, you know, even the guides hadn't ever seen this before. Uh, this was, which, which camp was it? It's a good thing I kept a journal, because it was after oh, yeah. a while, it was hard to remember where you saw what. But um, I think this was in Little Vumbara, actually. Um, we saw, which is in the Akavanga Delta, which is in... Um, which is in Botswana, um, and we were we had just started out on the the uh, land game drive in the jeep, and there was uh, we we came across some lions, and the guide, um, of course, you know, we stopped and and was were watching the lions, and it turned out that the lions were trying to climb a tree, because in that tree, uh, on one of the upper branches, was a leopard. Uh-huh. And the lions were trying to climb the tree because they had hoped that the leopard had um, caught some prey that they could then steal, which the leopard hadn't at the time. But then we kept watching, and after the lions left, uh, the leopard came down from the tree, and he actually did catch a civet. And he went back up the tree, and he uh, was there eating his civet <laughs> um, for for much of uh, the next 
much of the next hour, at least that's after about an hour or more than an hour, that's when we finally left. But uh, And I'm glad that I didn't see the kill. A lot of times people talk about how exciting it is to actually see a kill, and I was sort of ambivalent about whether I wanted to see the kill. But seeing the leopard eating the civet after he killed it and seeing the um, lions at another place uh, eating the carcass more and more, we came back the second day and there was more eaten of a baby elephant, was about as much (laughs) violence And I know that that's all nature and everything too, but um, but that was about as much as I needed to see. <laughs> uh, and I can understand that. Um, that's interesting that the cat caught a civet. They are, um, boy, they're skunks <laughs> in many respects. They can really make out a smell if they want to. And <laughs> I, more power to that leopard. Uh huh. Well, and and you know, he, as he was starting um, to eat it, of course, you saw the fur literally flying from the, oh, yeah. oh, from the yeah. branches. I mean, you know, it, it is being in the heart of nature, and yes, of course, these animals have to eat, and it is, um, you know, that that it's all being played out in front of you. Um, I have a. Uh, yeah. I, I know. I, I just want to point out uh, that you, you've seen a lot of stuff that I have not seen. Uh, we, when we work as a group in, in the bush and what have you, and you're in areas where the animal's not used to you, they run. Mm. Wait, who and runs? they run from you or they the run towards you. animals run? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm. And uh, uh, very often, however, now, like gorillas, no, they don't. The gorillas will stand there and look at you and say, what is, can you yeah, make, make something of it. Baboons are the same way. Uh, baboons are um, pretty darn tough creatures, and um, they got big teeth, I can tell you that. <laughs> Uh, you've, I've been confronted by them in high grass, and it's a real exciting experience. Uh, but uh, I've I missed on those type of things like you're talking about, actually seeing the big cats, lots and lots of big cats. They're not that common. They're not, they're, 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 none of them in Gabon, and they're very, very few in what's West Africa now. And that's mainly because, again, of environmental um, uh, uh, encroachment on their hunting grounds. Mm-hmm. It takes, mm-hmm. takes a lot of grounds to hunt. And if you are completely surrounded by villages and farms, um, you lose that. You, yeah. you lose that indeed. Now, elephants thrive. As long as they're on their parks and they're not being poached, they come back very quickly. Uh, because if, unless, like you saw the baby, which is really rare for elephants to allow their young to be taken. Well, what the guide explained, yes. What the guide explained was um, that if there had been, you know, if there had been uh, enough other elephants around, to protect this, the baby elephant, that that wouldn't have happened. And mm-hmm. he thought that something that this elephant must have been sick okay. and must have been, um, you know, must have either died on its own or, or must have been left behind somehow. Um, yes, it, they, they are very protective of their young, and, and that the lion wouldn't have been likely to have uh, gotten it by itself. Yeah, yeah no, and that, that's what, that what struck me when you said that, and it, it struck me much because the first time I was charged by elephants, really honestly charged, I was with an American who was a game uh, warden uh, and was talking. We're doing a census of the animals. And uh, he, his job was to get them counted. So we're on a, a rare paved road, and he's jumping up and down, and the elephants decided they didn't like it. And he told us how they would charge, and he said, they'll get side by side, and they'll come at you full tilt. That's mm. what they did. Mm. And the reason was is they had their young with them mm, they yes. and, and what have you. And that was the only reason that they would be belligerent at all. Right, I, yes. I know how protective they are. Yes. Truly amazing animals. Yes. And by, that, by the way, in that evening, we drove back down that road, and the elephants had gotten up onto the road on both sides. This is a big herd. 
and we drove through the middle of this herd of elephants right at twilight on each side, and they were all passing us on each side as we drove between them down the center of the road, slowly. Yeah. And the headlights caught their eyes, and they're bright red, and they just let us go. It was mm-hmm. really eerie, and not a sound, not a sound out of these big animals. Yes, I've had a similar experience. Um, and yes, because they are not uh, ferocious or angry, it's just to protect their young. It, it is it is really, um, really amazing and really beautiful to watch. Um, and you know, you know, actually, what's interesting is, you know, how I, I read something before I left, actually, about some woman who was trying, and I'm sure you've heard about this. It's all over. A lot of people try to uh, to um, to complain about zoos having elephants in zoos and, and other animal, wild animals, for that matter. And you know, um, I have a different attitude. I'm not sure. I didn't really feel strongly one way or the other before I went to Africa, but you know. Um, because of, of finding out about all this poaching and all the endangerment and so on, I don't know that these, I mean, yes, of course, it depends on how well cared for they are in, in the particular zoo, but I don't know that that's really such a bad life compared to um, what could be happening to them. Yes, it would be great if they could just live in the wild and live happily ever after, but considering some of the dangers that they face, it's not like if they go back to their own uh, continent <laughs> that um, that they're going to be safe and happy. You know, I think that they're, that some of the elephants should be thankful that, um, that they're being treated well, that they are in a safe place. Well, there's that one on San Diego. It's the Wild Animal Park of the northern part of San Diego County where they roam freely. Mm-hmm, yeah. Marvelous place. That's a place that you'd really like to see people copy. Yes, yes, I've been there. Well, we do need to take another break. Uh, my guest is Curtis Cushman. His book is The Bobo Marche. Um, when we come back, we'll talk more about being um, out of Africa and telling you all about our journey. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Hey, welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about Out of Africa with my guest, 
Curtis Cushman. He is the author of The Bobo Marche, after spending four years in Africa as an engineer and geologist. Um, Curtis, let me ask you about, we, we of course did have, I spent two weeks, you spent four years. Um, I was spending most of my time with uh, animals, safaris, riding horses and elephants and so on. And um, so tell us about you know, your experience actually living there. Well, of course, uh, I lived in the cities and in the villages and then under canvas, in camps and what have you. Uh, by the way, rainy season in Central Africa is a really interesting time to be camping out. Hmm. But uh, I worked with uh, the locals and uh, in the villages, and it's just an interesting and different experience to see people who work extremely hard in the day get out at night and dance until midnight or 1 o'clock to the light of a kerosene lamp and balafones. Mm. It, it is truly something to, to be there. Uh, one of the villages that I went into, they uh, took an old woman and they locked her up inside of a hut because she had never seen a white man, and therefore the luck of the village was her never seeing a white man. Huh. Okay, I mean, this is the sort of thing that still go on in Africa. One of my, oh, by the way, one of the things in the, the themes in the Bobo Marche is that I was there at the very end of a severe drought. And how these people coped with the drought is pretty amazing, uh, just to be able to survive. In one particular village, the water, single water source was a kilometer away from the village. And one girl, about 13 years old, that's all she did all day, was go and fill this, uh, her, her a jar with water and then take it back to the village and dump it into a community jar and then go back. By the time she got back to the water, it had filled up enough so she could do it again. And mm. she did it all day long so they simply have enough water to drink and to cook. So that sort of thing. But there's one subject here which we talked about off the air. When anybody sees or hears somebody who's been to Africa for two weeks, four, and, I'm not, and I'm not putting this out on you because you know where I'm going, four to six to eight weeks or what have you, and become an expert is something that really gets to me because I was there for four years. Well, wait, wait. I guess I didn't understand what you were going to say. Um, become an expert? You mean as a guide in Africa? No, as a, no, as as they suddenly become experts on Africa. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously. I mean, I've known people like that, and I've seen them on TV, especially celebrities who go, "Well, I was over there for four weeks," and then, and then they start talking about stuff they know nothing about. It is too complex, it's too large, it's too overwhelming for people to know what's going on. I was there for four years. Well, okay. I mean, I don't know. I, I really haven't paid attention to that. I haven't noticed that. But, but, you know, I think that it is valuable for people to go, even if they can only go for one or two weeks, and see some of the, as long as they keep their eyes and ears open and, and ask a lot of questions, because I think the more people who go, and not everybody's able to go there for, you know, six months, no less, four years. But um, yeah. I think the more people that go, some of these myths about um, what Africa is like, and I'll admit I was the first one to, I had no idea that it was going to be as, I mean, for example, some of the camps um, that I was in, they would, even though it was out in the middle of nowhere, they would have gourmet food brought in for all the meals. Um, I had other camps where it was more basic, where it was more um, typical African um, li lifestyle living, you know, in, in uh, tents or in uh, different, you know, it was all different kinds of living arrangements. But I think the more people who go there for whatever amount of time they're able to go for, however many countries they can go for, they can bring back 
some of these ideas um, of, of how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is and how important it is to save the oh, endangered I, species and, and everything else. Believe me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing that in, in, in the least. I appreciate that, and that should be done. That is absolutely essential. I couldn't agree with you more. I just get irritated by people who start talking about things they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. They're there, and they start saying, and then suddenly they become experts on it. I just wanted to point out, I was there for four years. I do not consider myself knowledgeable in the way of the continent. You just, it's just not, it's well, just, yes, the place there's is so lot- overwhelming. There, yes, there's there's so much. I mean, even even though I was only in three countries and and um, however many camps I mentioned, each one was so different. It does Absolutely. take it does you know to know the land. You know, it take, the more time you can spend and the more questions you can ask and the more you can read. Of course, um, of course, you know you're you're much more knowledgeable about it. But the spirit of Africa, regardless of which camp I was in or which country I was in, the spirit was was the same. And you alluded to that. Um, you know, the working hard all day and dancing till midnight, there is an incredible spirit uh, and an incredible resourcefulness that extended to all the places that I was at. And I think it had to do with living so closely with nature. You know, you're not cut off. You're not in apartment buildings. Oh, no, um, you're, you couldn't be more correct. You are absolutely right. That closeness is so, it's palpable. It is, it is evident in everything that you see outside of the cities. You know, you, you couldn't be more correct. And it is something that people have got to know. They've got to experience it. You've got to see it. You can't do it by watching TV. Right. Obviously. You, just, you have no idea. People have no idea what it's like to, to see a sundown. That uh, yes. When the sun goes down, everything turns red. Yes, yes, I, mean, I just, saw it, that, yes. It's just you, you you look at that thing and the egrets the white egrets are now pink the intensity yes. of the red light it is just when you see water buffalo going by and you speaking of egrets and see the egrets swarming around them yes. and above them around them for the first landing time landing on them yes yes you just go okay it's something to see it on TV anybody can see that but to see it up close yes. and watch it happen nothing can exp- well first off you're hearing it and you hear the chatter of the birds, and you smell the mud under the feet of the animals and what have you. And the African beside you says, yeah, wiga, you know, that's this thing, and that's, yeah, wobo, you know, elephant, wobo, you know, the word for it. And, and, and that sort of thing, well, tembo on the east side. But, uh, uh, wait, wait, I hear the music. I want to get in. Uh, I want to tell people where they can buy your book. And I also want to make it clear, at least all the places that I went to, English um, was the, I mean, yes, of course, there were all different African um, dialects. But people did speak English in all the places that I went to. Um, so, so just tell people where they can buy your book. Well, the Volvo Marche is available on Amazon. It is available on, uh, there's a Nook off of uh, Google, or uh, Barnes & Noble, excuse me. It's Google Books and what have you. And the publisher is uh, com. So, I mean, those all the usual suspects. And let me let me just spell it again. Um, it's the Bobo B O B O Marche M A R C H E. Two that is correct. Three different words. The Bobo Marche. Again, my guest is Curtis Cushman. Uh, obviously, we both uh, love Africa. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Even though we had different differing experiences, but it comes down to uh, to just a love of of the people, the nature, and and uh, wanting to help preserve what there is that's so that's so invaluable there. So thank you for being a guest. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.